Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast brought to you today by our first sponsors, Duca Del Cosmos Shoes. I want to say a big thank you to Tony Eccleston who runs the UK office here. We have a little bit of a teaser going out for you and you're going to need to stay to the end of the show in order to be able to see what we have got to offer you. So um, I'm with my wingman. He's there in the background. He'll giggle all the way through the show as he normally does. It's Gareth Shaw. Hi, Gareth. How are you? Hi, Andy. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thanks. It's been a great weekend. Fabulous oh, weather. Weather. It's like being back in the summer. I mean, my wife were talking about the other day when we, we got married six years ago. The weather was like mm. this. We were very lucky and it was in September. And oh, I love this time of year. It's, it's beautiful. I've got to congratulate Mrs. Um, Mrs. Shaw for putting up with it for six years. I mean, that's just a, a remarkable, <laughs> remarkable achievement in his own right. That is. So, uh, yeah, congrats <laughs> to a pair of you. Um, yeah, no, it's it's Exciting today! Exciting today with our first new sponsor and Duca del Cosme. Amazing! What are your thoughts about Duca? Well, I've got to say, I mean, they've they've been on board with Andy Gorman Golf um, this season, um, and you know they look. It, it's a very very stylish shoe. If you're into Italian styling. Um, you know, first and foremost, so shoe, you know, look, the shoe, shoe's got to, got to look good, doesn't it? You know, I mean, it's going to go on your feet and look down at it, you know, especially if you're playing golf, um, you know, and, you know, my feet are closer than most people's feet um, to the golf ball. You know, I'm not the tallest fellow in the world, but at the same time, um, you know, obviously feet are always close to the golf ball. But, you know, I spend a lot of time with a putter in hand and, of course, wedges. And we're going to talk about wedges through the show. But, um you know, you're looking down at a pair of shoes. They've got to look good when you look down on them. That's one of the first things that impressed me. A few years ago, I met Tony, um, you know, who runs the UK operation here uh, at the British Par 3 Championship and um, showcasing the shoes. And, you know, I was just like blown away by the style. But at the time, I had got a shoe commitment and you know so to to sort of you know ask too many questions about the shoes you know it wasn't sort of I didn't feel it was ethical but continue to admire the designs and the styles and the colors and and everything else that comes out of the shoes the shoe the brand has grown and you know the range has grown and um you know it really is uh, you know number one a great looking shoe but probably the most important part of a shoe is how it performs when it's on your foot. And I will wear a pair of shoes for, you know, eight, 10, and 12 hours a day, you know, when I'm in the studio and doing what I'm doing. And ultimately, you know, that particular uh, piece of, you know, attire for the day has to be comfortable and it has to support me and my back and, you know, the issues that, you know, sort of face us on a daily basis. But then when we take it to the golf course, it has to perform on the course as well. And, you know, there's a few key features around the sole design that I particularly like. Um, and, you know, so not 100% familiar with all of the styles, um, you know, of the shoes. But, you know, there's the different styles and the different soles, um, you know, on the shoe really, really do work you know when you're trying to grip your, you know to the ground at the end of the day we know the importance of ground forces we know 
how you know weight transfer is one thing, but how our feet react with the ground and how we transfer um, or use the ground in order to transfer weight and speed through the swing will have an effect on our performance, not just in hitting the golf ball with distance, but controlling the club face for you know loft launch, you know those type of things that uh, control the flight on the wedge shots, which are really important to me, of course, but also you know to everybody else that's going to play. So yeah, Duca's shoe you know is phenomenal check it out um it's a premium shoe job that to do really which is to help you play better golf and you know to play with uh you know a lot of comfort when you walk the golf course because of course you know we are we should be walking i know you know some of us have to cart because of the the, the type of golf course that we're playing but but ultimately uh yeah for me style more importantly, probably performance. But if it, you get that in one package, you've got a Duca Del Cosmo shoe on your foot. So, yeah, best best shoe of 2020 by Golf Digest. I know, I saw so, that. Absolutely yeah. awesome. Um, if you want to check the guys out, it's um, www.ducadelcosma.co.uk. And thank you for the sponsorship. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Tony. Catch up soon. Uh, right. We have a pack show as always. Um, what, should we have tour talk? <laughs> I think tour talk first. It'd be great. Yeah, some topical issues that we can we can talk about definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, our plan was always to get into wedges this weekend, and the and the, and the tour talk part of the show um, shouldn't disappoint. Um, it seems to be that wedges were the talk of the town in every tour event, um, as it should be, you know, because if you if you if you're a tour player and hits eighteen greens in regulation every single time you go out and play you don't need to worry about partial wedge shots, you know, other than maybe on a, a little bit of tidying up on a par five or a short par four. So, you know, but ultimately we're going to use the wedges quite a few times. And actually we do know that 70% of the game takes place inside a hundred yards. So we've got 40% of the game is put in. And, you know, if you're somewhere between sort of 25 and, and 40 putts around, then, you, you know, You've you've heard what we've been talking about, and uh, you know in previous podcasts, and of course the um, you know all the coaching videos that I've been putting out on the social media platforms. Of course, don't forget you can follow the platforms Andy Gorman Golf uh, across, and don't forget stay to the end of the show. We'll tell you where there's a platform that's got a giveaway at the end of the show. Yeah. But um, you, you know when it comes down to it, you know wedge shots are really important and. It's not just you hit a driver, you generally hit a driver close to flat out. You're going to make a full swing with it every time. And you're probably going to do that with everything. Six, seven, nine is also going to be likely to be your full swing. So, you know, but partial shots come in typically with the wedges and maybe an eight or nine iron. But wedge shots ultimately, you know, have two, three, four swing lengths you know in terms of being able to dial in distances that a particular club can go that will help you to hit the shots you need to hit the distance you need to go etc um it affects the flight you know we've talked about it you know in, in other uh, areas before but ultimately wedge shots and controlling your wedge shots is really important but you know we've seen some well interesting wedge shots this weekend um is there any particular ones that stand out to you, Gareth? 
the name Graham Dillette comes to mind, Andy. <laughs> uh, I hope every, everybody, everybody saw this. It's on YouTube. If not, we'll post it on our, our channels as well. But he was doing something quite different, Andy. I know it's maybe something that we do in practice, but not in a tournament, not in the Safeway Open. Well, I, I, and and he's kind of about it in a in a kind of a strange way. I'm sort of stalling a little bit because actually, you know, it's kind of how do you describe it without it appearing like I'm trying I'm trying not to be negative because you know ultimately um surely Graham will have a you know some issues with regards to a conventional way of doing things and and oftentimes we do this so he's basically he's having a practice swing with two hands on the club as you would expect um and then sets up and you know kind of effectively shoved his left hand out of the way i think he tucked it into his pocket and released the club with his right hand i mean he literally just swung his right hand at it um not only that he nearly hold it which was just incredible so um he's found a way to actually overcome the challenges that are um, going on in his game in effect to try and get the job done uh, out on the golf course and when you're playing in a tournament the most important thing uh, for us is to make sure that you get the ball in the hole as few strokes as possible so you know yeah he's he basically took his left hand off the club you know and he's playing his shots one-handed right-handed interestingly which is um you know i'm not against right hand left hand either way you know we we do what we need to do and he's found a way to get the job done Mm. He made it look like first initially when he was taking the practice ring that he was going two-handed and, and it was almost it caught me by surprise watching it on the coverage like has he just done that? Has he, did he caught, did he caught the commentators yeah. by surprise as well? I mean he they did. were they were yeah. reeling. I mean that's you know we'll we'll pop the link out on you know onto our channels a little bit later. But you know, yeah, it's just um uh, yeah, nobody's really expecting. Clearly, it's the first time he's done it. It all looked a little bit quick to me, you know. And I mean, I noticed it straight away. But it was like, wow, that happened quickly. How did that happen? Why did it happen? What went on? So, what did you do? Of course, then you replay it several times and you see it. Of course, the beauty about YouTube, of course, is everybody's got it out there now, and you know, sort of, you know, it, it's it's going on. But but it, what he's essentially what he's doing. By removing the left hand from the club, and this is where the solution comes about, is he's able to use his right arm and shoulder as the fulcrum. The shoulder, the right shoulder as the fulcrum. So he's then playing the shot and allowing the arm to swing through so that the arm hinges through the elbow, The uh, sorry, through the shoulder, the elbow swings from side to side, the hands swing the handle, and the club head releases past freely with a fairly smooth you know sort of extended arm now what i will say this is a shot to be played when the golf ball is sitting nicely so i've got an invitation to sit it's sitting there and but you you know at the same token if you are struggling with your shots you know even sitting nicely can be a real challenge to you and you know graham like i said has obviously found a way you may have seen some of my posts in the past where you know insta and um, facebook twitter etc pop videos out there where you see me practicing one-handed and i very much practice left-handed when i'm doing this um you know i do practice right-handed you just won't see necessarily as many videos because i don't necessarily want my right hand to learn any more creativity i'm 
often doing it left-handed in order to, to help to train my left side feels and more importantly to make sure that my left side keeps moving in the shot now i don't know graham and i've not i've not met him and i've not seen him firsthand um you know to be able to make you know sort of strong observations so i'm i'm going to go at it not necessarily with the knowledge of knowing what graham is doing specifically but do a generic observation on what is happening mm -hmm. when i observe short game challenges wedge shots of you know short range like we had on that particular one invariably a little bit like short putts the body doesn't move enough to create the uh, reaction to the action so newton's third law of motion every action is an equal opposite reaction in reverse ultimately if you don't make a backswing rotation you can't make a backswing a forward swing rotation well, you might, but you're doing it from a different place. You're not going to get the golf club back to where it started. And if you're sitting or listening right now, invariably, I know from the feedback, a lot of guys sitting in the cars, <clears throat> driving to work or from work or whatever, you know, I don't suggest you do this. You focus on the road. But if you were to turn your chest to the right and then back to the left, you've got something to move. It, ultimately, if you turn it to the right, you've got something to move back to the left hand side so you can turn and face you know the, the left side window but if you sat in a chair you'll notice that you know so if you are sat in the car you'll notice that your hips aren't moving so your hips aren't going to do anything they're just going to follow the lead of the chest and the chest will have a restricted movement and of course you may have your steering wheel in the way so as again you know don't try this if you're driving 60 mile an hour down the main road um but ultimately it, you know the restriction of your hips seated is very similar. I see that an awful lot in players struggling with shots around the greens. And they, of course, in putting, we don't want to move the hips and that's fine. But in short game, we need to be able to activate more movement than just the limited rotation without turning your um, chest. So if you are sat in your chair now and, you know, just literally perched to the edge of the seat as much as possible and just turn your chest, you will be lucky if you can get 30 degrees of chest rotation from the seated position. Yep. I can't, Andy. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> it, it, you know, you need to get down the gym, mate. Oh. <laughs> so, so this sort of limited rotation that we have both, and you'll probably find if you're right-handed golfers, going forward is even more restricted than going back because we do have this stretch effect in the backswing. And if you play golf for a number of years, you will have created this stretch effect, which ultimately will help you. But if you do not get your left side out of the way on the way through the shot, it's in the way. And if it's in the way, yeah. then that means that the left wrist is going to break down. The right hand can't deliver the club the way that it intended. And if the golf ball is slightly forward of that base point, then we end up either hitting it fat or the club's on its way back up and you thin it across the green. So the only way to effectively fix your short shots is to free up your hips. And, you know, Graham's lower body does not move at all. And I see this a huge amount with recreational golfers. And, you know, folks say, oh, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Look, I have seen and witnessed the evidence of the most ridiculous coaching of all time limit everything that you do and just, you know, effectively chop the golf ball up, chop down on the golf ball, lift up, chop down. 
you know, variations on the theme, but ultimately that's what I've seen suggested. And it doesn't work. You've got to turn and you've got to turn everything. Your knees move, your ankles flex, your hips turn, your chest turns. Oh, I don't need that much swing. No, you don't need much speed. There's a difference mm-hmm. between swing and speed. So you can swing the golf club all the way to the top and still deliver the club at a 10 mile an hour at the base of the swing instead of a hundred mile an hour if you're trying to swing your driver. So, you know, I would swing my wedges around about 85 mile an hour, full swing. So, you know, that's my limit, but I can still swing the club eight to 10 mile an hour with a full swing if I need to. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't suggest you do that, but actually, you know, with a golf ball in the way, but actually go and try and feel like you're making a full swing even if you don't put a ball in the way try and feel as if you would be hitting the golf ball five to ten paces what kind of speed do you anticipate the strike requiring on the shot on the golf ball to only hit it with a full swing five to ten paces and you'll be surprised you'll hit it 30 paces without trying but what I'm trying to suggest here, if you've got a wedge and just went into your back, back garden and just literally turned your chest and your hips and made a full swing and then brought the club all the way back down really slowly and imagine the speed you'd need to hit the golf ball with that wedge club. And if you've got a net, feel free to try it in the net. But ultimately, if you to do that, you would understand that speed and you know the swing is the most critical part but you also need momentum and momentum is what's limited in this lack of hip rotation so when the lower body doesn't move and the reason for doing it is the panic over if the less things that move the fewer things that go wrong is actually the reason why you're causing all the problems in the first place because you require the laws of physics at slow speeds more than momentum and speed which are helping the fuller swing. We don't have this problem with a full swing because the speed there, like I said, with my wedges, I'm swinging 85 mile an hour. Now, some people who are listening here, you know, you may not be swinging the golf club with your driver at that speed, and that's okay. You can learn how to generate more speed. If your body's restricted, you can, you know, create more stretch, you can create more strength, you know, but ultimately that you do need to work at it. You will not find a hundred mile an hour swing if you've not swung over 80 for the last 15 years by spending three or four hundred pounds or dollars on a new driver i mean you cannot do it you're better off spending three or four hundred pounds a month on a fitness class and work with a pt to actually help you to strengthen and stretch and speed up than you are spending that on a new club i know it looks good i know it sounds good you know i'll go and get myself a new driver if it's all about trying to find an extra 20 mile an hour in your swing, you no club out there can do it. I'm sorry I burst that bubble. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good job we don't worry about swinging drivers or you know looking for sponsorships on drivers, I guess. But, um, but this is key to understanding the dynamics of the swing. It's all about speed. Speed controls the distance. It controls the launch. It controls the spin. It controls everything about your shot. And the speed has to be relative to the shot you're trying to hit. Now, if you want to hit the golf ball really high, maybe over a pot bunker and landing soft, like a butterfly with sore feet or 
you know, uh, other expressions that David Fairty would come up with. Ultimately, if that golf ball is trying to land really softly or you're trying to make it land really softly, you need elevation, you need speed for elevation, but you need loft and an appropriate swinging action to create the elevation on the shot. Standard chip shots, pitch shots, you don't need a lot of speed because you're only trying to hit the golf ball, you know, four, five, six yards, you know, invariably. That'll give you a nice little chip and run or pitch and run shot. The shot that Graham played would have probably needed about eight, eight to 10 mile an hour club head speed because he was trying to create a bit of elevation for some spin. The lie allowed him to do that, but also he only needed to hit the ball about four or five paces in front of him. And he only had probably, you know, an eight pace, you know, 25 foot shot at the very most anyway. So, you know, all the things that have to be calculated when you're hitting a shot short distance, all based on speed, loft, where do you want the golf ball to land? How much do you need it to roll out? With these tour pros, Andy, as well, is, is it the case that like we talked about the other week with putting that with these different varying techniques, they're just kind of putting a sticky plaster over something that needs uh, a plaster cast? Is that the case with Graham and his kind of technique? Uh, ultimately, yes. I mean, there is no... There's no sugar coating on this. Um, I think those of you that have listened to me before know me well enough. I can't sugarcoat it. You know, it's just not in my remit. Um, that's the reason why is because if your tour player should know better. You know, I mean, you it'd be a little bit. You know, we talk about other sports, and you know, I cross over and I like my motor sports. You know, if you've got a really poor performing engine, you can't put Lewis Hamilton into that car and expect it to go quicker round the track over 60 70 laps you know that's just you the car is you know one second slower you know or you know 300 you know let's just say it's it's 600 horsepower and it's it's losing 300 of them it's just not going to happen the best driver in the world isn't going to make a faulty package uh, and it's the packaging complete, a faulty package works. So you can put the best wedges in your bag, you can put the best drivers in your bag. If you've got poor swing technique, you are going to be struggling. Likewise, if I was to jump into Lewis Hamilton's car, it is not getting around that track. Probably won't get to the end of the track, to be fair. I'd probably have it off the track um, before mm-hmm. I got around the end. But if, you know, yesterday, I think they were racing just under um, 120 minutes uh, at the very end of the race. Um I probably wouldn't get it around that car, around that track much quicker than 140, 145. And I'm not saying that I can't drive. I'm just saying that I can't perform no more than Lewis could if I gave him a wedge. You know, I've not seen him swing a golf club, to be honest with you. I'm not sure if he ever has. But, you know, if I gave him a wedge, I'd expect him to be able to do, you know, what I can do with a wedge. That's not going to be the case. But the best players in the world are, are very fine margins. And, you know, if you put them all to collectively together, they can all generally deliver the golf club reasonably well because the amount of times they practice they've got good sound technique but when the technique starts to break down it'll be a little bit like a racing driver coming into the corner and forgetting to brake uh you're coming out the other end in a car crash so yeah. you know when you when you're all if you put your brakes on too much you know then you end up with somebody plowing into the back of you like we saw if you've seen the grand prix yesterday um you, you know ultimately you can't you've got there's a performance within you know the package that has to be adhered to the 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 body needs to keep moving 
Now, can you ultimately, can you develop a movement, wrong terminology, can you develop a swing without movement? Well, you can't because a swing is movement. But if you try to limit the amount of moving parts, you're going to struggle to control the golf club at the business end of the shot, which is when you're striking the ball. So when the body stops, the wrists break. It's as simple as that. You've got to keep the sternum moving through the shot. And so to, whether you go cack-handed or whether you go, you know, we've seen, you know, did you say BJ? Singh was using, BJ was using the a claw, claw, claw yeah. wedge shot. You know, mm-hmm. for, for somebody with VJ's golfing intellect, okay, former world number one, major champion, you know, prolific winner, millions of dollars in the bank, right? Golfing intellect is at his highest. I mean, I'm not talking about, um, you know, sort of intelligence in a classroom, you know, to be able to do mathematics or, or science or, you know, whatever it might be, all right? But his golfing intellect is as high a package as it could be, right, for him to not figure out the reason why the wrists are breaking down or if he's not engaging the coach, that's down to him. If he is engaging the coach, for the coach not to figure it out, because the things that we're doing are base human movements. The things we're mm-hmm. talking about here are base human movements. They are not insurmountable for anybody, especially at the speeds we talk about in the area of the game where you know, I declare my expertise. So we're putting three mile an hour clubhead speed, we'll roll the ball 10 feet. Okay, so, you know, 10 yard wedge shot, depending on how you're going to flight it, you know, 15 mile an hour clubhead speed. So we're talking about very small club speeds that every single one of our listeners is capable of being able to generate and learn to control. And these are the best players in the world whose techniques have failed them by whether it's coaching means or whether their own intellect hasn't figured it out. But these are also the best players in the world. And in VJ, one of the very best. But throw a caveat in there, VJ's always over-released the club or be it at an extremely consistent level to be able to play and have his right hand coming off the golf club. If you've ever seen him hit golf balls and see the stills or the slow motions of his uh, release through the ball, by the time the club head gets to around about waist high with the driver, his right hand is almost fully off the club. <clears throat> and that would suggest that something in the fuller swing has now manifested itself down into the um, smaller, slower moving swings. And, you know, these things happen. He's not likely to have a problem with his driver because of the speeds that he swings. He's able to keep the extension going and his swing past impact. He gets to impact and he has all sorts of issues occurring. And so the release that he's not breaking down with the driver is showing up at the slower speeds, which is the same thing that happens with putting, of course. With a lot of the, the guys on tour and well, the girls on tour, will they maybe try these as drills and then go, wow, this this really works and then try and take it out into the golf course is that how a lot of these things originate and then go out onto the course i think the thing you know we need to be mindful of is that you know we've talked about this we put in a few weeks back um a few shows ago the um you know time to experiment time to try and find a solution also and here's the danger of being a tour player the time on your hands, one allows you to think, two allows you to practice things that are not conducive to the human body and brain. 
So what eventually happens is we accelerate the breakdown because we hit more balls. Oh, yeah. I'm going to put it out there and say that VJ Singh's probably hit something like 20 million golf balls in his lifetime <laughs> because he'll practice for eight and 10 hours a day. Now, doing that eight and 10 hours a day, ultimately, you know, let's just say that's a minimum. He's had eight or 20, you know, 20 million, 20 million swing thoughts. That's forget his practice swings. You know, he's out there hitting golf balls. You know, he's probably had three or four practice swings to every one of those as well. So let's just say that he's 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 hit the hundred million repetition mark. And, you know, he's thinking he's going on and he's 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 not going to have a hundred million singular thoughts. He's going to have variants on that singular thought. You know, whether it's turning his chest, does he turn his turn his chest because of his hips? Does he flex his knees? Does he roll his ankles? Does he lift his uh, lead foot off the ground? Whatever thought that may be in there, multiply that a hundred million times in process. You know, he's going to be very open to overthinking it. And, you know, even at three million, you know, that I would say somewhere between three and four million I've hit in my time. And, you know, now I know why I never made it to world number one, eh? Um, you know, I've only hit a fraction of the golf balls that he has. And, you know, and adopt the cap to that. It's not having this, you know, isn't having to go at BJ Singh or any other player whose game I feel is flawed technically. But the challenges of an elite player is what potentially can go on inside your head. And it's going to go on more than a recreational golfer because we're going to face that challenge much more often. A recreational golfer might hit 100 balls a week. You know, VJ's done it before breakfast. 100 balls is done before breakfast. I mean, yes, of course, he will go out and have something to eat, I would imagine, before he hits any balls at all. But before any of us have got out of bed, he's hit 100 golf balls. You know, so, you know, that's that. when we get into that amount of repetition, the danger always is looking for something that actually isn't needed. You know, there is a, such a thing as letting your coach observe and nod rather than let your coach observe and add something else or turn to another coach because your coach hasn't said anything new for a while. And we see that a lot. You know, the coaches will see that a lot. They turn to us and go, players will turn to us and go, have you got something new to say? No, we've got you exactly where we wanted to get you. Now, in the process of this, we'll be looking, you know, go back to something like Formula One. You know, that Mercedes car that is racing around the track at ridiculous speeds on a consistent basis with two of the best drivers on the planet, certainly with Lewis and, you know, Bottas is up there, you know, no question of that. That car is looking, the guys behind the performance of that car are looking to improve it all the time. But they can't, you know, different areas, you know, so the guys are looking at performance in terms of, you know, aerodynamics, grip, um, steering, speed, braking, you know, all the things that they can do to enhance the performance of that car and find one thousandth of a second around the track is going to make a difference. Put it together with another four or five items, you've got a hundredth of a second. Then Lewis learns to drive, race that car even better. He saves a tenth of a second. That makes the difference between him and his teammate. All of a sudden, he's on pole and he's got the run at the first corner. He wins the race because of that, because of the incremental details on every facet 
of the car and performance. You know, and, you know we haven't even got to start about understanding his sleep patterns, his eating habits, you know, toilet breaks, all the things that go on that make sure he knows that he's in the best performance of his you know life at you know the point where he jumps in the car now we put that couple that now move that over to golf you know we're talking about we're not just talking about accelerating in a straight line or breaking into a corner we're talking about swinging the golf club at over 120 mile an hour if you're elite at the top and controlling speeds at two and three mile an hour the variances on a golfer are going to be significantly higher than a racing driver albeit racing drivers so intense and everything else you know they're incomparable but they are you can compare them the packages and everything else a whole lot you know they are very elite athletes doing very specific things and in the whole package we'll dial a golf club in you know the tweaking that the players will do on golf clubs but many of them will just do a quick tweak on a golf club because they've got an extra two million in the bank they'll change their equipment yeah. everything changes in the equipment and they wonder why they can't play you know, you know, you change everything, you know, and see guys change whole bags of equipment, including the shaft that's been so successful for them, you know, just to change, you know, a package and you go, oh, I wonder why he's not won for three years. You know, or what's happened to so-and-so, you know, I'm not going to mention anybody's names, but I can name half a dozen, you know, mm -hmm. very, that have chased the dollar, you know, and, and lost their performance. Footwear, in, you know, in particular, one particular player, you know, had shoes designed in order to be able to generate eight mile an hour ball speed, or sorry, eight yards, I think it was. And that's what he was looking for. He needed to hit the golf ball another eight yards to, because he realized that the top 20 players in the world were eight yards further than he was. So he wanted every part of his package, you know, to, to enhance finding an extra eight yards. You know, I was privy to, you know, the assistance of, of 11 in total with the design on that shoe you know so he went to the shoe manufacturers that sponsored him at the time and asked them to design the shoes to generate more ground force that could actually enhance more clubhead speed which allowed him to hit the golf ball eight yards further as i said we ended up getting 11. yeah that's amazing that's amazing and, you know Something when i was asked that remit to be honest be honest with you i was like what we're going to generate mm. more club head speed with a pair of shoes. Very cynical. It wasn't so much as cynical. It was my, one, how can you do that? And two, who's even thinking that? All right. And this was this was a guy who um, was trying to figure out how to win major championships, and he ended up winning uh, three in very quick succession. And you know, sort of twelve. 13 years ago so you know sort of go and have a look at the history books you'll see but at the same token um you know we're now talking about the owner of our sponsors um today uh, was the former owner of that particular company so you know that you know but i was also involved in that sort of design you know chopping up bits of shoe to try and generate more traction or support or you know sort of um transfer of energy and you know they did it Amazing story. Something I've, I've kind of been asked quite a lot when I told people we were talking about wedges this week was like, oh, can you ask Andy about spin? I know a lot of people out there love spinning the golf ball, desire to spin the golf ball. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that, Andy, about kind of 
Uh, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it more about controlling the golf ball than spinning the golf ball? What are your thoughts? No, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, number one, if you can't control the roll, don't worry about spin. That's the first thing I'll say. You've got to learn to control the roll on the golf ball, the release once the golf ball lands. Control that first. Chipping a chip and run shot for me is far more important than spinning a wedge shot. Far more important. Golf balls do not spin back into the hole very often, but they do run into the hole quite a lot. If you watch the, you know, I've, I've watched some phenomenal footage of the, of the golf. The golf's all on very late because obviously we're West coasting at the moment in the States. So, you know, I, I was enjoying you know, a relaxing weekend. I don't mind admitting that every now and again I have a relaxing weekend. Uh, I was coached all day on Saturday, so I didn't get to watch the um, Portuguese uh, open. But the, um, you know, the, the, the golf in America um, was all on a little bit late. And, you know, I had a nice relaxing weekend, like I say. Um, but the, the, the key for me, um, you know, on wedge shots, we're watching some of the golf footage this morning um, of the girls and there was a handful of shots that were holed. They all went in forwards. They didn't spin back into the hole. And I think, you know, recreational golfers, as most of you will be listening, get fixated on the ability to spin the ball back when most of you don't take enough club to get the ball to the hole. Mm. So why would you want to spin it away from the hole? In fact, if, any, if I hear one particular shot shout from a tour player, it's like, get up, get up. Get, go, mm -hmm. go, stop, stop, because the spin is doing <laughs> the anti-effect of what we would want it to do. And of course, if you're playing with your mates and you, you know, happen to be a 20 handicap golfer and you see the ball spinning back 20 feet, you know, off the green and down the slope, you're like, oh, did you see how much spin I got on that? Unfortunately, um, now you're going to thin the shot over the green and probably take three, four more shots from there. And you actually had the ball about 15 feet from the flag at one point. But you just got so excited about the spin um, you know, that it doesn't really matter that the golf ball has left a pitch mark on the green, which you haven't repaired. Um, <laughs> or you could have had a 15-foot putt, or even closer, had you have flighted the golf ball in a way and let it release on the green. Um, so, you know, so learning how to control the release of the shot going forward will cause you to get closer to the hole much more often. Now, that said, I know the shots that we're talking about here, everybody's now shouting at their sort of phones and, and uh, tablets and computers going like, I, but I need to stop it around the greens. Yes, you do. All right. There are certain shots. You've got to realize that if you've got grass or moisture between the ball and the club, it's not going to stop. So you've got to learn how to release the shot, how the ball's going to come off that club face and release going forward. So, you know, the lie will dictate first. Your, uh, forget your skills, forget your abilities, Right, your lie will dictate the shot at hand. Then it comes down to the equipment. What golf ball are you using? If you're trying to find, if you're hitting a distance golf ball, trying to find an extra five yards off the tee, you have not got a golf ball capable of stopping around the greens. That's two. Three, when was the last time you cleaned your wedges or changed your wedges? Now, cleaning them is a basic, but it's amazing how many times people come to me for a uh, short game consultation and their clubs are filthy and they've told me they've been practicing all weekend. Mm. That's fine. 
all right? But your clubs should be clean after every shot, not because you forgot to do them or you didn't have time because you were practicing. How can you practice with dirty clubs? You can't. You can't. You every time you every time you hit a shot, you leave debris in the grooves or on the face. Every time you play that shot, you need to clean it down as if the shot that you're about to play is going to be a fresh shot again. It's a bit, you know, gets a bit much that, doesn't it? Well, you're not practicing the way you want to play. And before we even worry about the technique in how to get spin, you only get spin if your grooves are sharp and clean. You're using a ball that can spin and the lie is conducive. And then you've got to require the skill to be able to do that. Now, the first thing that first things first is, does the lie dictate that you can? Is it sat nice and tight on a very thin grassed surface? In other words, almost sitting on a green itself. And most golfers that are asking the question about the spin are going to turn around and say, oh, I don't like playing off that. I like a little fluffy lie. I like to be able to get underneath the golf ball, a bit of a, 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 a sort of a cushion under the shot. Well, that's going to cause you to lose spin, not gain spin. You only get spin off a tight lie. That's why we get to spin the golf ball on the Lynx turf so much. And the ball sits perched on this very bristly uh, grass. And, you know, it's almost like sitting on wire. You know, you can open the club face. And remember, you open the club face to get spin. And then you slide, feel like you're sliding the club underneath the legs that the ball's perched on. If you can imagine sort of a, you know, rolling yourself up into a ball and the only thing exposed is, your, is the lower limb, you know, and you literally just chop the knees off your lower limbs. You know, imagine that a golf ball is doing that or even just sit the ball on a very short tee peg. Um, you know, the sort of pro pegs or the castle tees, you know, that we've had. And, you know, the, the, the lime green one is a good one. Just tee the ball into the onto a really tight surface, tee it up there, and then just literally nip the tee peg away, you'll get spin. Again, you've got to use the right ball and the clubs need to be clean, etc. But you want nothing between the ball and the club. And that will that will allow you to get the spin on the shot. And, you know, I've used some short tees before now to try and encourage folk that just underneath that golf ball is all you need to be making contact with. Well, you can't see it, so don't back up on it. You'll never be able to see the bit you want to make contact with, but you do have to have the club face open. You don't need the hands too far in front because if they're too far in front, if the club face is open, the ball will just go to the right. You know, and that's what folk will tell me. They'll oh, feel like I'm going to shank it. You might. You know, but again, if your handle's too far forward, where's your swing path coming from? You know, it's more likely to come from the inside as well, which means your swing's going to the right, which is why one of the major reasons why the golf ball goes to the right. So there's a, there's a lot of things to do before you even get to the technique to create spin. But, you know, make, make roll your friend. Chip and run, you know, pitch and run, you know, chip shot is a spinning shot that goes very short distance. It'll literally only go about three or four yards and it's a little chip shot uh, before we play a pitch, you know, but I generally don't want golfers to be playing pitch shots sort of 30 yards across the green and expect to stop it in three. You know, I want the golf ball to be landing on the green in three and rolling 30, you know, because there's a good chance the golf ball will go in because you can actually see the way that it reacts. I mean, I saw um, a 
Brooke Henderson hit a putt from the edge of the green. Her heels were in the bunker. She's got a really awkward lie. You know, she's in the semi-rough. The ball's sitting up enough, but she hits a putt and knocks it in because she's not trying to create a spinning shot that's just going to land on the green and get away from her. She just literally just bunted the ball forward through the rough onto the fringe and down. She's got the right line. Speed was never going to be an issue because of the speed of the greens. It was downhill. And she's put the ball in the, right in the middle of the flagstick and picked the ball out of the hole. Um, you know, so so when it comes to it, like I say, I think the biggest challenge of all, yeah, we will talk a bit about spin. Um, maybe not today. Um, keep it, keep the audience enticed. Learn to <laughs> roll the golf ball. We're about to, if you haven't done already this time of the year in the northern hemisphere, we are aerating the greens and putting top dressing in. Don't try to pitch the ball all the way to the flag, because if you pitch the ball all the way to the flag, you are at the liberty of landing the golf ball in one of those holes, which then can either kick the ball forward backwards left or right if you're playing a spinny type shot and expecting it to do and it misses it one of those holes that's fine if it doesn't finish close it's down to you and your skills but if you play the shot and you don't quite get it right and it catches one of those holes 10 feet short guess what you've got a 10 foot putt because the ball will stop pretty quick but if you land the golf ball low to the ground on the side of the green and roll it through those holes it'll roll as well as a putt will which is actually going to roll pretty well, to be fair. I mean, you know, a lot of people complain about playing on aerated greens, but the ball rolls pretty well if you roll it well. So learn to play the chip and run shot, you know, before you learn to try and play the shot or execute the shot um, for spin. Most folk that I talk to about spin shots haven't got a clue how to play a, a chip and run shot and haven't got the skill capability it, within their, you know, sort of golfing locker at that point in time, to be able to be, to deliver the club with the speed, the confidence for the speed, confidence in the shot, the strike, the angle of attack, um, the bat, use the bounce on the club, you know, all those things that get spin uh, to work, and don't like playing shots off tight lies. So, it, 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 you know, it's very difficult for me to talk about, and I don't want to sort of limit everybody because if tour players wanted to talk to me off the back of this podcast, they can, uh, you know, but they, they also, they do know that playing golf balls off a tight lie is, is the best way to play wedge shots. They don't, mm. they don't want a fluffy lie. None of us want fluffy lies, um, you know, that can, that can play the game. You know, we want the golf ball sitting up on a nice sort of bristly type of grass because we know we can get to the base of the ball. I love them type of lies. Licking my lips and my chops, just thinking about it, Andy. I know, it's why I love playing Lynx golf. I mean, you know, yep. even when the ball's sitting down a little bit, because somebody's just nipped a little bit of, of the top surf, turf off and you've got that sandy soil underneath, you know, just playing the shots so that the club just bounces underneath the golf ball. You, you know, you've got to be able to control the low point. And that recreational golfers invariably, because of the modern teaching techniques of the full swing, modern, recreational golfers struggle with um, controlling the low point and don't know where to position the golf club, uh, sorry, the ball in relation to the club and the, and the body in order to control the low point. You know, and if you can't control the low point, you can't play a pitch up. You can't, you may struggle to, ch chipping is easier because the club is shallower to the ground and you're using less loft, which is why I say to folk, 
learn to control the run out the run on the golf ball the role of the golf ball first and then get your confidence in that ultimately because if you can do that you've got a much better chance of being able to you know sort of get the golf ball close to the hole and you know forget the spin at this stage it's really interesting because again it, it's one of those things it's almost like we, we talk quite, quite a lot it's like myth busting and I think something that you touch on there is really important. It's just cleaning yeah. your clubs. Cleaning your clubs. Is, I, I take carry now around with me a little damp towel and um, a little kind of one of the brushes that you can get. Or a wire little, brush. You know, yeah. I mean, I've got a wire brush in my pocket. And I've got, you know, I mean, I, I, I've got my T-pegs. I've got my pitch repairer. I've got my ball marker. And I've got a wire brush in my pocket. I mean, I feel like my pocket's fully laden. You know, I don't mm. always like to carry the wire brush, you know, because I'm not talking about these retractable ones because um, it is a little bit bulky, but it does the job perfectly. So I don't, I'm not, you know, in the least bit concerned about what it, the job it's doing. It does the job, what I need it to do, which is to clean the clubs. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And I've also got a brush hanging off the side of the bag as well, you know, in terms of it's a retractable a brush on a retractable uh, wire. Um it's perfect for doing what we want it to do, which is ultimately clean the crap out your grooves. You know, oh, why can't I spin the golf ball? When's the last time you cleaned your clubs? We don't have time to clean mm-hmm. clubs. But wipe them down after every shot. You yeah. know, I've got a towel. You know, my, you, you've seen me practicing. Mm-hmm. You've seen me when we're recording. You know, sometimes we get the bag out of the way when we're recording, but you've seen me practice and you see how close my bag is to the club, to where we're playing. And the reason for that is so that the towel is at hand, that I'm one step away from grabbing the towel to clean the club. Mm-hmm. And that's in the middle of summer when there's, you know, there's very little grass. Now it's moist. Now it's, you know, it's green again. You know, the, the club has to be wiped every single shot. And, you know, there's always T-pegs, even when I'm doing short game coaching, there's always T-pegs in my pocket, making sure the grooves are clean. You know, and it's just... It's a it's a basic for me. It's as basic as making sure you've got clubs to grip hold of. You know, so in other words, are your grips clean? Are your grips tr- tractional? You know, tract- tractable? Can you grip mm-hmm. it without squeezing the life out of it because you have to, rather than you know you just grab hold of the club and if it needs replacing, if it's gone a little bit shiny, especially if it's coloured, you know, if it's a coloured grip, it'll go shiny. You know, so you've got to replace them. You know, and your wedges you're going to use them more often. Replace them more often. You know, replace them with different colours if you want to do that as well. You know, so that you know which wedge you've got. The amount of times I've seen that, you know, sort of, you know, oh, I played the wrong wedge there. You know, so change the grip. You know, there's grips that are different colours at the bottom of them. You know, ultimately change them. Make sure that your 50 is, you know, white and your you know, 54 is green and your 58 is red or, you know, whatever colour options you want to make them. But, you know, just mix them up a little bit. But, you know, you're looking at a different club, you know which club it is, then you get used to gripping that particular colour grip. You know, you know you're not going to mix the heads up. Especially so now with the these kind of stealth stealth colours where they, I've, I've got some other wedges where there's no um, paintwork on the actual head. So it's, it is really confusing to, yeah. to pick the right wedge. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a basic observation, of course. But, you know, it is mm-hmm. yeah, very easy to just pick the wrong club out of the bag. And, you know, and you get it wrong at that point. You know, you're going to play the shot 
very differently. Although, you know, if you get used to hitting enough wedge shots, you'll one, know you've got the wrong club. But two, you'll also be able to figure, actually, you know what, the loft on this club isn't going to launch the golf ball at the height and the speed that I need to hit it at, you know, and then you can sort of go from that. I mean, you know, it comes down to technique. Two techniques around the greens that I really like folks to try and understand is where does the golf where does the golf ball land when you play a shot where the club head is below the level of your knees? So you've moved the club far enough back to create momentum. It's probably moved about a, a yard back, um, you know, and the club will be around about knee height at that point. And then when you turn your chest and hips a little further, the club gets to waist high. Those two shots there, so what I call the quarter swing is the waist high and the, the chip swing or the chipping swing is the knee high. Um, and, and, you know, that chipping shot is just purely and simply going to land the golf ball about three to four paces in front of you if you play it at the right speed. So from there, hold that backswing. So just literally just turn your chest. Your hips won't need to turn much, you know, be a maximum range in your, in your chest rotation. You know, the club will be below the waist, uh, sorry, below the knee. And, you know, from there, just hold that position and then just feel like you can just turn your chest and deliver the club onto the back of the ball. And that ball should not be landing more than three to five paces in front of you. It's what I call the three-yard swing. So mm. it's a yard back, a yard back, of, a yard back of club head, a yard back to the ball and a yard through. Three yards of club head movement is three-yard swing. And a three-yard swing should be landing the golf balls for the three yards in front of you. And if you can do that, then you ultimately have a lot of control and turn back a little bit further. So the club's parallel to the ground and the club head is at waist high, parallel to the ground and level with the hands. And from there, do the same thing. Just hold that backswing position and then get the feeling of, well, how do I get the club back to the ball from here? Well, you turned everything to get the club back and then you turn everything to get the club through. That would be, in effect, you know, a, a sort of four and a half, five yard swing. So the club's travelled, you'll find barely another 18 inches in the backswing. So you've added about another uh, yard and a half to the swing. So it's what I, I, I call it, the five-yard swing to make it a bit easier to reference. But, you know, that's a quarter swing. It's a five-yard swing. Now you've got, it's not a five-yard, it's a five-yard swing in movement, but you're going to hit the golf ball further because you're going to generate a little bit more speed. You're not going to hit it starting at five yards. You probably find it's going to be around about, you know, seven to, you know, 10 yards in terms of actual carry distance but again seven to ten yards at chipping speed so we're now talking about two speeds is quite different from a quarter swing shot which will probably go about 20 yards or so if you're using a 60. so it's you can play the same shot with your normal speed you know of, of sort of pitching swing so you've got a pitching speed so in effect your second gear you know and you'll find you should be able to land that sort of 58 to 60 around about the 20, 22 yards. And then you, you might find your 46 is going 32 yards. So you've got a bit more carry on that shot. And then watch what happens when it rolls. So now you can, you've got your pitch and run shot covered by playing, you know, just that, those two basics. And, you know, and of course then, you know, if you need to, chip the golf ball and run it along the ground a bit further, use a seven iron, use a five iron, use a hybrid, you know, versus using wedges. So you can use it, almost every single club in the bag to play a chip and run shot. 
you know, and then you will start to get into pitches. Then you know your your pitch shot will ultimately be dictated by carry and how far you need it to roll. I love that. That's really good. Really, really good. Thank you, Andy. No, you're um, welcome. I, I think we I think we've teased people enough with our competition or giveaway details. Come on, Andy, let the cat out of the bag. What's going on? So, uh, on Twitter only. So it's a Twitter only platform. Duca del Cosmo will donate, or they have donated, a pair of shoes of your choice and colour and size to fit you. But it is, I'm afraid, guys, a UK audience only. In order to do it, you need to follow, retweet. Um, am I missing something? I am. Aren't I? No, it's comment, yeah, no, yeah, and and comment, comment your comment your. Um, size and style. So go and have a look at the catalogue online. Uh, ultimately, you can put that in the comments. Um, but and if, again, likewise, if there's anything you'd like us to add, you know, or introduce to the podcast, feel free to do that as well uh, in the comments. Um, but we are, thanks to Duca de Cosmos Shoes in the UK, we are donating a pair of shoes to the UK audience. So, you know, you've got a tweet, re- retweet, um, share, like it, and obviously the um, the comments there for which particular style. If you haven't got all the details in place, don't worry. And of course, there is new shoes coming out very shortly for the winter collection. So uh, have a look online. Um, but ultimately, if the size um, or color isn't quite what you see online, um, on the, on the web shop at this point in time, don't panic because we have new, um, well, we Duca de Cosma have new uh, product coming out uh, very shortly for the winter collection. So you will get the most comfortable, most tractable pair of shoes, performance and style from Duca del Cosma. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for uh, donating the Duca shoes. Remember, guys, you've got to like it, you've got to follow it, and you've got to share it. So you know if you can do all of that then uh, on Twitter, then you will stand a chance of winning a pair of Duca Dogma shoes, courtesy of Duca UK. So uh, there you go, Gareth. I hope that that ticks all the boxes we need to for Tony and Duca. And um, like I say, you can follow me on any of my social channels. So Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, um, you know where to find us. Even LinkedIn, you can find us on LinkedIn as well uh, at Andy Gorman Golf. And, um, you know, ask, ask away, ask any questions that you've got. You know, if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover, um, Gareth's getting asked. So, you know, that's part of the reason why we bring certain topic each time. And, you know, we will be talking um, going forward. U.S. Open, it's U.S. Open week. We've not even mentioned it. We've got nearly an hour and we've not mentioned it's U.S. Open week. And um, mm. That's going to place an emphasis on wedge shots. Some of them from 300 yards off the tee, you'll be hitting wedge shots because I think the rough is pretty thick. It's a US Open, it's going to be. Um, Wingfoot is going to provide the perfect challenge. Um, it's going to be interesting because obviously there's a bit of momentum from the guys at the top, you know, John Rahm and DJ. I think those two are definitely clear favourites along with Justin Thomas. Uh, have you got any thoughts, Gareth, on who we're likely wow. to see at the top? 
a little bit of strategy. Tiger has been there twice. So Tiger was there a few, there a few weeks ago, and then he was there yesterday as well. So he was, he's, he's kind of starting early with his preparation. Yeah, I think if he if he can put the ball in play, and that's going to be the key, and his putter is on song, mm-hmm. and he picks the right putter for the week, you know. I know it's a bit of a fairy tale and people are shouting at the radio at me right now and saying, no, he's got no chance. But I don't think you can rule a man of that expertise and that stature out of any golf competition. No, you can't. You can't. Um, he, is, he is a little ring rusty um, and in, interesting. And, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, he shouldn't have changed his putter and this and that and everything else. His best, best putting stats so far this year and I know we've all been pretty restricted and, you know, he's not played a huge amount of golf um, during the lockdown period. But his best putting stats for the year are PGA Championship when he was using his new putter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on strokes gain. That's official. So, you know, so that's kind of interesting for me. Uh, I would be inclined to say that Tiger is a stats guy. He would check his stats out. He would go back and check and he would go, look, you know what? I've got to go and I've got to stick with this longer club, you know, as much as... I've got all the history with this other putter. You know, he will put in the bag. I think the the most appropriate club, and and ultimately, you know, yes, we'd love. Well, I think we'd all love him. Um, we want to want to see his game come together for you know one of the majors. We know there's one this week. We know there's one in a couple of months' time at a certain place called uh, Augusta National, where of course it will play into his hands. Um, because of the history, but the golf course is going to play incredibly long. Um, they may they may switch the fairways around and you know sort of make them slightly firmer rolling or slightly faster rolling. Where they would normally mow into the tee, they might mow away from the tee this year around, and so it looks a little bit um, sort of uh, lighter coloured from the tee down the fairway. I don't know. You know, if the going is a little heavy, then you know they may well do that. Um, who do they want to win? Um, you know, it's also one of the things because they can set the golf course up to that. Um, but of course, you know, again, back to Wingfoot, you know, it's a great golf course. It's a true US Open test. Um, the rough will be penal. You know, I hope Tiger's strong enough. I hope his back's, you know, um, and he's fit enough to be able to, um, one, get enough reps that he feels comfortable, you know, using his terminology and language. But if he can do the reps and he can get out there and do what he wants to do, um, you know, get that putter a little bit hot, he'll feature. Is it going to be an open championship that's played a little bit like Olympic did a few weeks ago and, you know, level par, you know, three, four under par, you know, wins it? Um, it'll be interesting to see. I don't know um, really what the answer to that is until I've not seen any of the sort of practice footage yet. Um, it looks thick. I saw somebody post on Instagram a picture the other day, and the ball disappeared when you dropped it in the row. Yeah, we've seen that with Chambers, uh, not Chambers Bay. What mm-hmm. was the course? The other, the uh, one, the Brooks one, and any one that's sort of like, uh, sixteen it, under par. Oh, yeah. So, yes, so you know, yeah, Aaron, I mean, Hills. Aaron, Aaron Hills. Aaron Hills. I mean, you know, it was knee high rough. I mean, you know, <laughs> Lee Westwood dropped a ball in the rough or rolled the ball into the rough. He never found it again, did he? Um, <laughs> you, you know, so. So there's, there are ways of, uh, you know, of course, playing again. And if you can keep it in the short stuff, the outfit rough is if you keep it in the fairway, you're going to have short grass lies uh, for your approach. Up. So, yeah, we'll always come back to, you know, what is it that we're doing? Um, you know, off the tee, it's a US Open. It tends to favour the tee ball hitter. So, you know, if, um, if you can find a few fairways, 
then you know it's going going to be there. I don't think we're going to see a bludgeoned golf course victory, so I'm going to put it out there now. I don't think this one's for Bryson. Um, let him prove me wrong, and I'll happily eat the humble pie next week. Um, <laughs> but but uh, you know I think you know it comes down to it. U.S. Opens are always you know challenged a little bit more and if you can't hit it straight and i don't think he's quite got his timing right you're just not going to bludgeon it around a, a u.s open championship event it may well suit him perfectly for augusta um but you know we, we'll have to wait and see on that one of course but uh who's gonna win andy who's your money on if you were betting oh, um oh my word i think we're going to see I, I, I'm struggling. I really am struggling to see past the top three players at the minute. The names I've already oh, mentioned. Yeah. Um, there's a nice little tricast going there, isn't there? You know, if you can get mm-hmm. a top three running with those. I, I, Justin Thomas is just about right, I think. I'm with um, you. Yeah, he's my pick. And um, I, I would, I, I, I'm struggling to see past, uh, you know, a, I think if there's if there's a first time winner, it's John Rahm. That's where mm-hmm. I would go. If it's a, but other than that, it'll be somebody who's won majors before. Um, and so, yeah, for me, you know, I, th- I think first time winner John Rahm. You know, other than that, it's going to be somebody who's won one before, and you'd have to put DJ and uh, JT at the very top. Um, and I'd love to see either of those guys win. To be honest with you, I think they're. Um, quintessentially American boys, aren't they? So, you know, they, they could do it, but I'd love to see, you know, uh, one of our European, uh, or be it very much adopted American. Um, with John Rahm spent most of his life, of course, in America. So, yeah, I think he's, um, I, I think, you know, I think John Rahm exercised some, uh, some control over the last couple of tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we know the US Open needs control um he's won of course twice since lockdown um he's he's a man on form as is you know jt and dj so yeah i'll go i'm i'm going with one of those three but you know it's us open anything can happen and uh you know yeah i'd love to see a first time winner that's you know maybe competing from europe so you know let's uh let's see and of course martin Keimer's won before and he's been knocking on the door the last few tournaments uh, as well so you know he's literally he's one he's one shot you know on two occasions he's one shot away from you know from from getting you know the victory that he he's been looking for for what six years now um so yeah i think he's uh you know but again you know there's one that shouldn't really be a surprise he's won it before and um Mm -hmm. you know major champion he can do it and you know might just he's got enough form you know, if he travels well this weekend and, you know, has got over there and he feel, he's feeling that, taking that form in, I think he can do it. You know, his game's there, certainly. Yeah, and he played extremely well. Valderrama, I think, was a really, really good test of golf. If you're not playing in a, a, a Olympic like he wasn't, then Valderrama's probably the next best bet anywhere in the world to go and prepare yourself for the US Open. And he played well enough there to just say, you know what? Yeah, so my outside bet, Martin Keimer. Oh, I like that, Andy. Thank you for today. Been a brilliant, You're welcome, jam-packed show. It was, yes. Um, and I say, if uh, you know, don't feel like I'm bashing you if uh, if you haven't figured out that's how to get your spin on your wedges yet. 
um, learn how to roll it and you'll get more shots close to the hole. And the idea of the game is to get the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. On that note, we'll catch you next time.